Alrighty, we are ready to get started. How's everybody doing out there? Happy Monday. That's right. We're uploading this on a Monday. So happy mm-hmm. Monday. Hope everybody had a great weekend. Uh, of course, this is the best place to start your Monday mornings with myself, Andrew Kuhn, sitting alongside Jeff Gannon, ready to talk about um, some uh, stuff on investing. Jeff, how are, you, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing great. I am doing great. Thank you very much for asking. So this is a um, questions that were e- either emailed into us or pulled from Twitter. Of course, if you're not following us, you definitely should be at Jeff Gannon and at Focus Compound. Um, we tweet out a bunch of stuff only related pretty much to investing. So if you are in the FinTwit arena, be sure to uh, to uh, sub- or follow us. FinTwit, that's financial Twitter. Do you know that? I, I do. Yeah. You do. That's do. it's pretty strong. If people, if you don't know, there's a lot of fun people on there. That's a lot of noise actually. So per, you're probably better off if you don't join. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, so first question comes from at Trey Henniger, who is a member at uh, at Focus Compounding. He also mm-hmm. contributes to the site, writes ideas yep. up, um, and he says, "Have you become more or less interested in Cool, which is obviously the oh, ticker, okay. after the change in control of the board of directors?" Uh, I guess more. Um, this so do you want to explain the situation? Sure. For those so who this don't is know. something that I posted. This is a Timberland company. It's something that the, the ticker is K-E-W-L. Um, so uh, the, this is, I guess you could say that we've been following it sort of on the website. There's a discussion thread open for it. Um, I, I wrote it up and then created a place for people to talk about it on the website. So, um, And then I also mentioned on Twitter later. Um, but for people who are on the Focus Compounding website, there's a you know d- a discussion thread in, in the forum that's specifically about this company. So it's an illiquid um, and dark stock. Well, it's not dark. It actually reports, um, but just not to the SEC. Um, so it had a board uh, election, and um, the uh, uh, Cornwall Capital, um, which uh, is Jamie May, mm-hmm. um, uh, got three more board seats. So they now have five, which is a majority of the board. And they're a 26%, I think, owner of the uh, stock. So uh, so they basically have control of the company now, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a contested uh, fight with the company. Um, and they have different plans for how they, they would like to do things. Uh, with I think they would like to harvest more timberland. Um, I think they'd like to consider some strategic alternatives, things like that. Uh, the board's a smaller ca- company, correct? Yeah, it's a, it's a small company. It's um, very small, right? around a hundred, uh, a little over a hundred million dollar market cap. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Um, we're just gonna do fire. Let's just do a fire fire question. So I'm just gonna fire them out at you. We're try to answer as many as we possibly can, and then just sort of okay. go from there. I think that I should probably say uh, what what he said. Or am I more or less interested in? Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say more interested because of I mean things are sort of. The steps are being taken to yeah. There's a more change in control. I mean, yeah. you could argue that, and I'm sure the old board would, um, that they were going to do the same things. Yeah. So there's not really that much of a change, but they've been pushed to do those things. So uh-huh. you know, we'll see. They're talking about converting to a REIT. Um, there's a mine that might open on their land. There's a, there's a few different catalysts. Interesting. He also asked the question: What is more important, quality or durability of owner earnings? Owners' earnings are they synonymous? Um. So dur- durability is more important, like from a mathematical standpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think about stocks, um, they're they're sort of like a perpetual coupon. They they have a very very long. Um, if you were going to do a DCF, they'd have to have a you have to be looking out really far, mm-hmm. and especially when we're talking about low discount rates and things now. Um, I don't do DCFs, but 
that's something to keep in mind to understand just how important it is that the company would still be earning a lot of money in 10 years or something. Another way that you can figure that out is, let's say you're looking at Facebook or something, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to know both that it'll still have earnings in 10 years that are a lot like what it has now or more, and two, that the multiple won't contract in a big way. And so what generally happens is that the multiple, the PE, does contract a lot ahead of the expectation that the company is going to um, face some sort of existential crisis, right? Sure. Like we talked about GameStop or something, right? It's just amazing how far the EV to EBITDA can go. So even if you're investing for shorter periods of time, it's very important that when you sell, people believe that the company's still durable. Mm -hmm. So even if you're only going to invest and hold it for three years, at the end of those three years, people are going to be looking ahead three years, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so the sure. the PE that you get is going to that's going to be very important. So it's really durability. Yeah, that's the yeah, most important. I would agree with you. And then this is an, uh, another question, probably relevant to a lot of people who have other careers and do investing on the side mm -hmm. or whatever. So how do you split your time between doing fundamental analysis versus managing the business side of your investing, such as any put in parentheses, writing, podcasting, member website? Well, I have a partner, you. Yeah. So th that's the biggest thing. I wouldn't do it without someone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that, I, I would agree with that, too. I mean, but I mean, I guess like you talk about a lot that you you really structure your week where you could read a 10K a day. So you continue mm -hmm. to, you know, come hell or high water, you're going to read this 10K during the day no matter what. Yeah. The big thing is prioritizing things. So you do the most important thing, not the most urgent thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's focus, right? Mm -hmm. Getting back to it. Perfect. Thank you very much, Trey, for asking those questions. Next question comes from at Kane1200. What is your strategy for trading into and out of illiquid stocks? Do you make sure to trade at the open or close? Use only limit orders? Question mark. That's a good question. Uh, yes, I I actually only use limit orders for all stocks. I, I really? Yeah, I that kind of surprising to me. Really? I didn't know that, actually. Yeah, you don't need to do it, yeah. but... Uh, I mean, because you, I mean, you're, no, you'll make a 50% position in your portfolio. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I just thought you'd be like, eh, whatever. What's a few, you know. Extra? Nope. Limit orders for everything. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Because I'm used to buying uh, illiquid stocks. So, uh -huh. once you're trained on that, then. So, is that because you don't want to get like an absurd price, obviously, or what? I mean, it's not really that much more work. Once you just get in the habit that, yeah. to me, I think in the terms that the only order that exists is a limit order. I don't think of the idea that, you know, you just, in your mind, you just turn off the idea that there is such a thing as a market order. Mm -hmm. well, I, guess I mean, you wouldn't to that point, buy a house by putting in a market order. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I don't buy at the open or close. Uh -huh. um, sometimes that hurts me. It did with NACA. Um, I could have gotten a, a much lower price if I bought right away. Um, what I, so first of all, I don't place trades online. I have a broker that I call up. Yeah. Uh, so old-fashioned. And that's for a very real – that's because I believe that that will make me trade less. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you even, like, check, like, your – do you, like, keep track of it, like, in Excel or, like, uh, in your head? Okay, I bought it. This, I mean, like, do you even log on to check your quotes or how does that work? Uh, I don't generally have to do that. Yeah. Um, for certain purposes, I do quarterly or so ch uh, do it to, wow. to make some calculations. But – Normally, I pretty much know in my head roughly. Like, yeah. I know how many shares I own of different things. All of us fake investors saying that we don't check quotes daily. Everyone checks quotes daily. You don't check well, quotes daily. I, I mean, well, if I only own five things yeah, and I don't normally change the amount of shares that I own of something, uh -huh. like, think about it. If I know that I own a thousand shares of something, yeah, well, that's pretty easy math sure. to do, uh -huh. you know? Um, so yeah, I, I don't buy or sell at the open or close. I usually do it, um, uh, mid morning and mid afternoon are the two times that I check in there. Any reason why? Uh, 
yeah, I, I don't like to pay t- attention to worrying about what's happening at the open or close. Yeah. I, I like to go in when um, there's already some uh, activity going on. And it, with the liquid stocks, though, it often doesn't trade. Um, I, I always write out what I'm going to buy or sell on paper, and I do it over the weekend. I'd never do it Monday to Friday. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you very much for asking that question. Next question. Are you getting interested in tobacco stocks, particularly BTI at current levels? Uh, no. Um, this is Part of this is an issue about what I can write about versus what we can uh, what I would buy and things like that. I have looked at some tobacco stocks before, um, and I did read recently about some things that had to do with um, actually either lower health risk smoking things or smokeless companies. I know a little bit about some of them, mm-hmm. um, but uh, generally a big reason why I don't is because they um, people there are some people who won't buy them no matter what. For like moral issues? Yeah, for moral mm-hmm. issues. And so I haven't used them for like newsletters and things because there are specifically people who uh, will be upset that they feel they can't buy into that stock. Yeah. Um, and because I do both, uh, generally for my – personally, I look at more illiquid stocks and things. Yeah. That's how I prioritize my time for things that wouldn't be things I write up. Mm-hmm. And for write-ups, tobacco doesn't work that well for the reason I just explained. Cool. So, Gotcha. Next question. Like I said, it's a fire, fire chat, a fire questions, right? We'd love to hear your general thoughts about what I consider the greatest investment virtue of them all, patience. How do you think about it and how you approach it practically? Can it be cultivated? Uh, yes, it can be cultivated. I just talked about some of the things that I do. So um, They say patience comes from strength. That's, yeah. that's like some Chinese um, proverb. I didn't make that up. All yeah. right. <laughs> um, so habits that you engage in. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of things that you can do to, to make that happen. Um, we've talked about before with like 10Ks when you read a 10K that you print it out and stuff so that it's not on the same device that you do all this other stuff on. You can use some of the same sorts of tricks and things for having more patience um, uh, with stocks and things like that. Um, I So let's see. I talked about the fact that I don't place trades myself. Mm-hmm. I call a broker. Um, I talked about how I did that I only write out what I'm going to do on a weekend yep. and then I actually carry it out during the week. Now for trading purposes, you do it anytime during the week and stuff and, and you might have to but like an illiquid stock. You might actually have to put a lot of effort buying and selling it. But one thing is I try to spend as little time as possible thinking about trading. And then the other things is um, I try not to um, add to a position or trim a position. Like I try to just make the decision to buy it and then I keep it until there's something else to buy. Yeah. And I'm truly thinking like a business owner. Yeah, well, eliminating those little decisions, I find that a lot of people, their patience erodes not so much like they'll sell the stock completely. Yeah. But they're like, oh, well, I can sell down a little bit at a time. I can buy a little bit more. You know, once you start into getting into that kind of thinking, yeah. adjusting things on the margins and stuff that way, um, you're moving more and more in that direction. I mean, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but look at Warren Buffett. Mm-hmm. All the people talk about, like, look at Berkshire Hathaway's portfolio. People talk about, how much they follow Buffett in a lot of things. Yeah. But when it comes to the way that he trades stocks, they often don't follow that. Sure. Like he buys a bunch of Wells Fargo or Coca-Cola or whatever. And generally he is not adding to or trimming from that much at all, mm-hmm. you know, and then holds it for a lot of years. That's not what most people are doing. Um, now I'm not as long term oriented as that. I think I mentioned um, 
the last thing I remember holding for a really long time was George Risk, mm-hmm. and that was a little over six years. Yeah. So not that long. I think a way, too, people can improve their patience is, is to build just a watch list of ideas mm-hmm. and then just wait for the company to come to you instead of, like, obviously mm-hmm. every stock you look at is not going to be cheap at the time of that you're reading about it. Mm-hmm. But if you think it's a great business that you would like to own in, in, in the future, um, you know, certainly obviously uh, doing that. I mean, if you think about Warren Buffett, how many years did he read of Coca-Cola before he actually purchased it? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think also have like a big gap between what you own and when you would actually replace it with something. Yeah. So a lot of people are like, um, it's almost as if they think, oh, I'll make a, um, you know, 15% a year in this stock that I want to get into. And I feel like if I do the calculation, the stock I already own is 13%, mm-hmm. right? That's the returns I'm going to get in the future from it. Don't switch out of those for that. Sure. Make sure that it's a bigger gap that what you're, you know, be, be more confident in holding what you have until you have a really good idea to replace it with something until it's really clear. You yeah. Know, stick with the status quo more until you, um, just being more indifferent to things when they seem pretty close. That's why I notice a lot that people swap out of one stock for another when they seem pretty comparable. So, sure. mm-hmm. you know, and if you do that, there's a lot of stocks out there. So you'd be swapping out one stock that looks about as good as another one constantly. And you've written about publicly that you think all your sell decisions mm-hmm. haven't really added to pre- your performance. That's absolutely or true. Yeah. I don't think that my sell decisions have added. So to if you, if you have that in mindset, I mean, your hurdle rate to mm-hmm. put on a new position has to be incredibly high. Yeah. Well, I've talked about that because I think people find that strange. It's kind of like the difference. I think a lot of people like the idea of, them making decisions and even if it doesn't help things yeah so they're like oh well i should be spending a lot of time thinking about selling and all this but have you really look and see if you can prove to yourself that you have added some value by selling or by position sizing or something like that like a lot of people i talk to a lot of people and almost no one says oh well i think i should just own 10 stocks 10 percent each yeah but they don't really have proof, most people, sure. that either their position sizing or their selling has been adding any value. Yeah. So, I mean, if it has been adding value, that's great. There are probably people out there who are better at like buying something cheap. It goes up, they sell it. Yeah. If you're buying really good companies, then your selling might not add that much value. Well, I think like when you, if you're especially if you're managing capital for other people, mm-hmm. if for example you're underperforming or right. whatever, and you're not adding new positions, they're like, "What the heck am I paying?" Absolutely, for? yeah. You know, it's almost like I hate the saying, but it's almost like being honest is kind of bad for business because mm-hmm. it's just like if you say, "Well, yeah, we haven't added new positions, but I learned about you know 60 new companies, mm-hmm. I read 30 new books, and talked to X amount of management teams," they're going to still right. be like, "Well, you're underperforming. What am I paying you for?" Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah, that's absolutely true. But, you know, it's also true that, I mean, I picked some stocks for things and owned them myself and seen when other people sold out. Because, yeah. like, I published some things like newsletters and things. Mm-hmm. And generally, people sell out before I do with, with some of those things. Um, so I, I've mentioned BWX Technology a bunch of times. I still own it just because I haven't had a better idea to replace it completely with. Yeah, A bunch of people bought that. They've all, like, to my knowledge, almost everyone who, uh, maybe everyone, who who followed me into that stock that I've talked to about it had sold sold out quite a long time ago. Interesting. They got a good return in the first year or whatever that they owned it, but uh-huh. yeah. Cool. Next question. Um, it's it says, uh, what other disciplines do you study slash read around? Hmm, that's a good question. You're more. I feel like a, there's a lot more your extra time. More so, are you reading novels or, or is it I other read disciplines a lot. or what? I usually read two things that. One nonfiction, one fiction at the same time. Yeah. Not the same time. 
Wow. So you're the first person that could do that, huh? I have them both going. He's talented, um, folks. He's talented. Um, I will tell you, uh, Quan, who I wrote the uh, newsletters with, was always uh, surprised that I would listen to and read something at the same time. What do you mean? <laughs> so this is a weird thing. I, I think this is true for a lot of people, but they haven't done this. You can listen to an earnings call or something yeah. and read a completely separate 10K. I have no problem doing that. I can't like, like I couldn't listen to something and talk to you yeah, uh-huh. because that will interfere with it. Are you listening to the same? No, completely different. I can do that. Wow. I, don't know I think I a lot of people, that. but have you tried it? Uh, I find I that it doesn't, it. I find that reading and listening don't interfere. Really? But like, um, trying to listen and talk, would interfere badly. You're on some like limitless stuff. You ever see that movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen that movie. That's funny. Um, yeah. So, um, what was the question? <laughs> uh, what other disciplines do you study slash read around? Uh, I'm not a Charlie Munger type. Like, yeah. why? I would not say that that's true. I mean, I think you understand obviously like basic psychology and how that could relate to markets and investing stuff like that, right? Yeah, I tend to be in the camp of like you should specialize on things and yeah. stuff like that. I think I. I guess I worry I, I, now this is different than it was before. I do worry like value investors are very into the reading lots of things in different categories and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do read ones that are interesting. I think I've mentioned before um, that I, there is a book that I would recommend to people, a very weird book. Um, and I'm trying to make sure that I have the right title for it. It's um, a beast in the garden. Mm-hmm. It's a story of a uh, um, mountain lion attack in Colorado. But it's interesting, and I mentioned before, because it's interesting from the perspective of, like, how people deal with risk um, and uh, understanding, uh, like, the fears that they have about those things. Because animal attacks are incredibly rare. Uh And this is a good topic to bring up because there was a recent fatality with a Southwest Airlines flight. Oh, yeah. Which is the first in – it's the first ever, I believe, for Southwest. Well, there was one – the person wasn't on the – yeah, there was one where the person wasn't on the plane. But Mm -hmm. Southwest has had almost none. And in the U.S., there had been none for for several years, as long a stretch. Um, but things like airline accidents, animal attacks, um, you can really get an idea of how people deal with risk, where they want to think about something as being either risky, like they want to either believe animals never attack, sure. or that animal attacks are something that are common all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's a very interesting book from that perspective. So oddly, I would mention that book is very good for understanding, like, um, I talk about risk habituation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people talk about um, like moral hazard and things like that. And I definitely feel that uh, that's the wrong way to think about risk. So I think the right way to think about risk is people risk more and more when they think that they do something risky yeah. and there's no adverse consequences for a while. Right. And they just get in the habit of taking more and more risks. And that's something that I probably learned a lot about from reading things outside of um like investing in economics because economists are constantly talking about things like moral hazard, which sure. there's not a lot of support for in the real world. Do you think Munger, um, he reads about a bunch of different disciplines because I mean, do you think he really only comes or reads investing ideas when Warren calls him up and says, can you check out this, this investment and give me your opinion on it? Or how do you think that works? Uh, yeah, I think that he just thinks about all sorts of different things and that yeah. he would say that's not really because that helps him be a better investor. It yeah. might accidentally, uh-huh. but he does it just because he's just someone who's interested in all sorts of different topics. Yeah. On the topic of Munger, mm-hmm. this guy also asked, what mental models do you find yourself leveraging most when studying businesses? Hmm. That's... I mean, but there's a lot that I think you, you almost subconsciously think about. Like if a business has pricing power, 
or if they have some sort of moat or you know sure so so i guess you could say psychology i guess which i guess those are models psychology. from economics or business or whatever but psychology okay yeah yeah i um, guess incentives you could think yeah, about yeah I, I guess you could think about psychology in terms of customer uh, behavior that that's yeah. the one that are people like coca-cola for example right sure. they're selling happiness and mm -hmm. you know all that sort of stuff so that's the one that's most controversial for whatever reason with people is um, they kind of don't believe certain things about customer behavior that's almost certain to continue. Um, well, I'll give you a good example. We uh, we talked in a prior podcast about GameStop. Yeah. And like, okay, so will that all go away and will everything be digital and stuff? But one interesting question is why are there still movie theaters? Uh -huh. And yeah. will they still be there 10, 20, 30 years from now? And the answer is they're a lot more durable than you would guess. I would say so. Yeah. Because the the reason is just something in terms of how people work, which is um, how, can you launch the next big Star Wars movie or whatever online only and actually get enough people to watch? Yeah, it'd be totally different. Yeah. Versus creating an event, creating the scarcity of it, go out to the theater. It's the experience. Week that it opens. You're selling experience. Right. Yeah. But they also are are making it unavailable uh -huh. yeah. you're only making available for a short period of time there's the experience that you have there's a lot of things like that where it's people's behavior and i think certain investors don't really uh want to bet on those things uh -huh. weight watchers was one that was like that where we talked about that and, and you know how it works um a lot of times people don't want to think i guess in terms of certain psychology things i guess you could say uh that is you know counting on certain customer behavior um, there's a there's a lot like that, and that tends to be the stickiest thing, is really c um, customer behavior, and it tends to be easy to predict that it won't change. Um, but that's one that people always have trouble understanding. Like if you say that this company has the lowest cost, everyone understands that and believes there's a moat there. But if you say there's some psychological reason why people use this, yeah, it's a lot harder to convince people that that's. Um, going to be a durable moat and i find that often those are the most durable moats got it last question and i'm actually kind of curious uh, it says and i, I want to add to it it says mm -hmm. do you read slash track and he puts in quotes best in class businesses such as amazon google facebook etc even though you would never invest in them now i want to add to that okay. i think you would invest in google if All it right. was at a cheap price that you thought was cheap. Oh, I think sure. that, I think Any that's of a those I would invest yeah. in at a cheap enough yeah, price. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So it's not just, you. but my just idea of a cheap price is a lot cheaper than a some other people's. Yeah. Ideas. But I mean, I think Google out of all those would probably be the one you'd be most interested in, but sure. If I was counting on Google having the same free cash flow next year as this year. Yeah. Yeah. Then I would buy it. Mm -hmm. But the question is how much is it going to grow and how high is the multiple that combination, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but do you read and follow those businesses? No, so probably just what you read on Twitter or just scrolling around. I mean, I so I did read um, because I was interested in advertising agencies. I did recently read the 10K of Facebook and Google. They're not very interested. They're very bad Big. 10Ks. Yeah, 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 it's incredibly bad 10Ks. Google has a little bit that's interesting about their culture in there, but otherwise, um, they tell you very little about about the business. Facebook and Google both don't break out other parts of the business so that like Google isn't telling you anything about what's YouTube versus what's Google search stuff and, and things like that that aren't helpful um uh no I don't look at them because if it's something that I feel I can't figure out mm -hmm. um like as a stock so from a handicapping perspective yeah I mean you obviously understand what Facebook is and what Google is and what Amazon is 
It's like when people get that mm-hmm. confusion when they say, oh, Buffett doesn't invest in technology because he doesn't understand it. He understands what Apple is. He understands what Facebook is. He just, when he says that, he's just saying that he doesn't know what the business will look like in five to 10 years. And now he owns Apple, but he yeah. waited until the point where he could see that people who already had Apple, uh, who already had an iPhone, when they went to upgrade, they just said, give me the iPhone. The new they didn't one. consider. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Once he had that, then he could invest in it, and and I agree with that. And that's the true for many companies. Um, you know, I mentioned that I own VWX Technologies. Well, when they started, and there were two couple competing designs for um, nuclear reactors for submarines, uh, I have no way of knowing which one is superior, which engineering solution is better. But once the Navy's been using one for a long time. Uh, then I can make a bet on one sure. or the other. And mm-hmm. that's that's a, what I mean by the difference of like understanding something. And I think that's what Buffett means when he says that, right? Mm-hmm. So, but for why I don't read about these companies is a handicapping thing. They're not cheap enough and they are uncertain enough. So the, the two things are if a, a lot of times the business is something that attracts a lot of competition and it has a high price, mm-hmm. right? So you have to bet on future growth there. Like, like even Amazon. So there's all sorts of things I like about Amazon. But it faces an incredible amount of competition in everything that it does. Sure. Right? And then it has a high... Uh, some people would say it's not a high-priced manufacturing growth and, and you know what would happen if they, they didn't spend on certain R&D sure. and mm-hmm. stuff. But it's not an incredibly low price. So you add those two things together that it's in a competitive business and not a low price... I can't do that math the way that I could with Tandy. Sure. Which dominates one specific thing and trades at, you know, six times EBITDA or something. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean when I say don't understand. I don't understand it as a bet. Not that I don't understand uh, what yeah, the business does. I mean, you use Amazon it. all the time. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I understand. Uh, we were talking about psychology things. The value that Amazon has that's incredible is how much it gets from individual customer relationships, how much it invests in specific customers that it has. It's a totally different business than they're trying to win over new customers all the time. It's the prime customers that they have and how much they're able to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, there's a lot of things about the business that I do understand. I use Amazon all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm perfectly capable of understanding why Amazon has Amazon Video and how it works and the advantages that it has from that. It has a very wide moat, um, both because it's a subscription business for customers and because it has... Uh, distribution 100 million did you mm-hmm. read that this week yeah i did over 100 million crazy yep so uh but it's a and amazon is actually different from all the others that we talked about amazon has very long runway potentially sure which is very different from like facebook and google the issue with facebook and google is if they stay in the business that they're in they don't have that far to run i mean you could also attribute a lot of its success to Jeff Bezos, I mean, he started mm-hmm. pretty much another Fortune 500 company. I mean, Amazon Web Services, you yeah. know, who it's growing faster than their e-commerce business did. There's lots of things I like about all those businesses. Yeah. I love businesses that are still run by the founder, um, that are uh, have a wide moat, that have all these things that are very attractive about them. Uh, I don't think that they're necessarily uh, easy to. Uh, so when I say like easy to understand, there needs to be a low hurdle for it to clear sure. that I that I can understand. And with these businesses, they basically need to grow um, just to to keep the stock price where it is. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to ever make that bet. Yeah, cool. We want to thank everybody for asking questions. In the future, if you want to um, 
ask us questions, we'll, we'll, we will probably answer it. Uh, just tweet at us. Um, Jeff will or myself will do a little call for questions. Say we're going to record and that you could tweet them at us and have them featured on our show. Uh, my my uh, Twitter is at Focus Compound and Jeff's is at Jeff Gannon, G-E-O-F-F, Gannon, G-A-N-N-O-N. Be sure to follow us there if you are not already. Mm-hmm. Any other th- final thoughts before we conclude? They can use the promo code podcast. That's right. And get $10 off for the actual Focus Compounding site. Which you want to spell we, podcast? <laughs> which is where we have all of these um, ideas written up mm-hmm. there. And there's lots of write-ups. Individual um, ideas. Yeah, we have a stocks A to Z section. has a lot of stocks there. Which are yeah. a lot of them are actually still pretty actionable as well. Mm-hmm. There's Some of them are very long reports. Some are discussion threads that people have. Some are write-ups by other people. Some are write-ups by me. There's quite a lot that it's added up to by now mm-hmm. um so if you do become a member go there and look through it all because the stocks are new to you don't just go in and look at what's been written up this week or something the site's been around a while now so mm-hmm. go and look through all the stuff that's been put up there yeah and i mean we always talk about pattern recognition that's a good spot to mm-hmm. to learn about ideas um even if they're not actionable to uh spot stuff in the future uh but other than that uh be sure to check that out you are listening to andrew coon and jeff gannon at focus compounding and we will see you in the next podcast